0: Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, a smug Rod Morrie sitting in the chair, still trying to recover from an epic week's golf at the Solheim Cup. So why smug, I can hear you asking. Well, the dictionary definition says, too pleased or satisfied about something you have achieved or something you know. Well, achievement isn't my strong suit, as most will attest, so my smugness is from the something you know category. And the thing I've known for quite a while that the rest of the golf world's just realised is Leona Maguire. What a performance in a week full of them. And on today's episode, you'll get to hear some of Leona's backstory, thanks to an interview that I was lucky enough to snare with her back when she was an L.E.T. rookie playing at the bon- at Bonville on the New South Wales North Coast back in 2019. That interview coming along in a moment. However, before we go back that far, I would be remiss not to quickly recap what was a remarkable week at Inverness. And for an always different and thought-provoking perspective, who else would we turn to but my co-host, Adrian Logue, like when I mentioned this episode, you told me you had some thoughts you needed to share before we hear Leona. My ears immediately pricked up when you said that because I'm certain you'll have a take, at least one that I haven't heard anywhere else. Welcome. Oh, how are you, my friend? Okay,
1: well, you've built that up, so
0: <laughs> let's. I like to do let's it just let, let do you down and just see how you look the under the blowtorch of pressure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure you did. Well. It- what did you have in mind when you told me you have some thoughts that you need to share? Let's start with the course, because I thought that your take on the golf course day one on our text thread was fantastic. Oh, really? I'm trying to think what I said now. The first but, and yeah, the tenth.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, the first and the tenth. I really felt like there's a missed opportunity there just to to mow all of that rough that separates those two fairways. Mm-hmm. It would be an epic sort of vision to be hitting out into a massive big playing field there just with the bunkers in the middle it was pretty amazing visual as it was but if that was just bunkers in the middle with short grass uh, across what would it be 200 metres 300 250 metres or something like that so simple it would have been an amazing spectacle and no less penal in fact you'd you'd sort of be drawn to the bunkers a little bit more I think if it wasn't you create some rug.
0: more interesting angles, that's for sure. Not necessarily yeah. good angles. Some more interesting, potentially not great angles. So um, I thought that was a that was a good take. But on the week overall, uh, it, look, it's being roundly applauded as a fantastic week, and I would agree with that assessment. It really was something quite special, wasn't it? This cup,
1: it was. Yeah, and look, the course was a big part of that, and I think generally Inver Inverness was fantastic. The mo- you know apart from the mowing lines, but at least they weren't out there sort of grooming the rough with rakes mm. and and blow-drying it like you see at some of these other big events. It looked a little bit rough, which was great. You could see the ball bobbling around in there when they hit it offline and it was a bit of a lottery whether they got a good lie or not or some sort of playable lie or a flyer lie. And then those things really mattered because the greens were firm and angles mattered. Um, You know, you could argue maybe angles would have mattered more if they were hitting off short grass from wide areas because they could have aimed to more interesting spots to create – Different angles, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was very nicely presented. Um, it's certainly hard to believe it's the same golf course where Tway beat <laughs> <Pete> Norman.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. In '86, uh, I think wasn't it? It really emphasises the point, does it not? Which we forget too often in modern golf, I think, about the importance of the course as a part of the event. It really mm-hmm. is, in this case, the twenty-fifth player. And in all tournament golf, it should be the 157th or the 145th, however many in the field, add one, and the course should be another player. And all too often, it's not. This was a fabulous example of how it was, and I agree with you. More short grass, what you would have seen is some more interesting recovery shots. Once you've hit it into that long grass, like, okay, well, the green's are firm, you can't hold the green. Give those players a fairway-type lie and a bad angle Mm -hmm. And they will try stuff that will either be spectacularly good or spectacularly fail, but either way it would be fantastically interesting.
1: That's right. Yeah, you still have – even with short grass, and Inverness I think illustrated this beautifully, there was still the challenge of – there was a unique challenge to every shot, and that unique challenge came from the combination of an uneven lie – the wind, the angle, the gradient that you're hitting into in the green and the firmness of the green and the shape of shot that all of those factors determined and the pin position, you know, where the hazards are. Uh, I thought it was all great. Um, There was a little bit of rough around the bunkers and I did see uh, many balls stopped before they rolled into bunkers because of rough around the bunkers. And that would be, you know, the only quick fix, I'd say there. But otherwise, superb. I, I do think the men would just destroy it
0: still. Yeah, it's too short.
1: It's it's too short and they just get too much spin. It overcomes a lot of the issues that we just described there. Um, but you know, with the club head speed and uh and and you know the spin and just the the physics on the golf ball that we saw over the weekend, uh, it set up beautifully for for that spectacle yeah. that we saw. Uh, if if you change any of those physics factors of of what you're doing to the golf ball, I think it starts yes, to become be, um, yeah.
0: less attractive. Yeah, Indeed. The greens, I thought, were particularly interesting. We saw some amazing – some of the slopes and the pockets where they could put pins and balls would either be repelled or swept up and gathered towards the hole. There was some fantastic stuff of that. It reminded me in some ways of Royal Melbourne in that sense where there were places, if you missed it, in Inverness, were diabolical. Getting down in three would have been an achievement – That's always. I feel like that's what separates Royal Melbourne in many ways. If you hit it over the back of the sixth green on the Royal Melbourne West, Mm. forget it. If you can keep it on the green, well done. Same with the fifth green. If you hit it over the back of the fifth green, it's a diabolical spot to miss. And there was some of that at Inverness. And what it creates is a real requirement for thought prior to hitting the shot. Where is my miss here? So we saw a lot less balls super close, but a lot more shots – 1520 feet whereas a golfer you go oh golf clap that's a fabulous shot well thought out well executed so it makes for much more nuanced golf i thought
1: and it came from the greens being a little bit pushed up as well and we're all familiar with that shot where you you know you're a few meters off the green the green's slightly pushed up and it's just it's a real challenge like do i bump this into the hill or do i just land it on or do i try to find some other route to the hole um, again that would have perhaps been enhanced if it was some short grass there. Mm-hmm. It, every green was ringed by rough, but the rough wasn't offensive. No. At <laughs> Inverness, I thought it was good. Fact, and was they a had a lot of,
0: there was some 50-50. You could get some good lines with some more. There's some lines. 50-50 stuff. Yeah.
1: And they had some natural uh, grass way off the off the uh, playing line, which I thought was good to see as well. It created a beautiful contrast. The whole thing was spectacular to look at. It was a uh, great venue.
0: It was- was the best spectacle for some time in golf, I thought. Uh, and yeah. the team match play element adds a lot to that. And all that woke stuff oh, that we won't go we'll... on with. Hasn't it become Let's the sport? Yeah. Hasn't it become the sport on Twitter to uh, deride people who promote the idea of team match play being better than what we were what what we were seeing at East Lake at the same time? And it's really become it's now gone full circle. Uh, what we think makes a lot of sense in golf, and we've is now become the uncool thing to think in some ways because it's all a bit too woke. Oh, I don't get too deep into that <laughs> these days, but uh,
1: I do. Um, yeah, I do think there's this combination of. I, I was thinking a little bit about that definition of team match play and what makes it interesting,
0: because the WGC match play, let's face it, it's kind of flat. And and we oh they they pulled the teeth out with the round. You can't have the interesting Wednesday anymore. Where Tiger Woods gets knocked out in the first round, but the final can't rounds are really. As Flat,
1: like they're incredibly boring as well. When it gets down to four players, there's it, not a lot of interest in watching
0: the final groups unless the semi-final historically has been the most. Inter- quarterfinals and the semi-finals tend to throw up the most interesting matches in that week. Agree, and I think it it's a little bit
1: to do with the number of golf balls that are live at any given time in the coverage. As a TV spectacle, it just peters out far too much towards the end. And the final is there's just two matches out there, four golf balls. And it's just not enough golf. Like, you've got big gaps between while they're walking. And if if you don't like two of the four players or three of the four players, then you're not going to watch it. And it, it's really uninteresting. But team match play has, I think, just the right number of golf balls out mm-hmm. the on the field. The foursomes especially is brilliant to watch. The foursomes is brilliant. That's eight balls that they've got to track. And the TV coverage just seems to barely manage that. And it's not just eight golf balls, but they're playing pretty fast. Mm-hmm. and I think that combination of things I should say they're playing relatively fast
0: <laughs> the here. yes
1: <laughs> when they're in uh, when they're playing foursomes um so that's that keeps the golf action happening pretty quickly and the interesting thing about team match play as well and I think this is the X factor that that people don't really think about is it's sort of during the course of the day it sharpens you like a knife like you start the day full of possibility and one by one those possibilities get taken off the table this is especially true on the last day with the the 12 singles Mm -hmm. the day is full of possibility and then as the matches start to evolve one by one those possibilities get taken off the table and it just sort of just starts to this slow burn of the overall result slowly coming into focus and those many possibilities Sort of narrow down to one, and as more and more matches get taken off the board, and then you gradually realise, oh, it's going to come down to this match and these few shots, and the whole day has sort of sharpened you for that, and and you're constantly playing team captain in your head and doing the maths and saying, I've got to be there, you've got to get me to the thirteenth, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to see this shot, there's a crucial shot, I need to support so and so, you know, that's you're playing team captain in your head, so it's not just the the spectacle of individual like player versus player match play. It's that team aspect of the whole day coming to a point in time which everybody can sort of see. And I, I think that's the thing that really captures your imagination. Fantastic.
0: Well you've lived up to the hype there. That's your if a child was to draw a golf course moment for this episode. <laughs> Which <laughs> I go back to is one of my favourite things I've ever heard. Uh, taking the possibilities off the table. It's a beautiful way to describe it. You're right. And like a, like a camera, isn't it? As you focus more and more sharply, things come in. That's right. It comes into focus. Until bang, there's your result. That's yeah. what it's, uh,
1: The day just unfolds beautifully. And you just you don't get that. You, you ask why the WGC match plays flat. It's, you don't get that. Don't get that, you, yeah. There's not that overall picture of the day. Yeah. That's the game within the game with team match play.
0: It's kind of, the, that does sort of describe stroke play as well as it unfolds over four days. And it's what people so often speak against about, golf. it's too slow, it takes too long. That's kind of the beauty of it. I mean, you're really talking, you know, chess versus what we used to call it, drafts, now checkers. Checkers. Yeah. <laughs> Here in Australia, did you ever call it drafts? When no. I was a kid, checkers was called drafts. No, it was always checkers for me. Oh, it must have been the change. Must have happened around that few years between that's where it went to checkers. But it's that chess and checkers idea, isn't it? Checkers has an appeal, but it's a fast food appeal. Chess has a you know sumptuous meal at a restaurant kind of where it's going to unfold over a period of time. And I've always that's right. That's what I've always liked about golf. That's what so many don't. Yeah, the team match play is like three dimensional chess. Oh, <laughs> off the charts, team match play. I was talking to BJ about this. BJ, Brendan James, the editor of Golf Australia magazine, we were having a coffee the other day talking about this. And there seemed to be, if I was going to make a criticism, particularly we've, we've now got a generation, I think, of professional players where match play has been – they haven't played much of it. And it's certainly not given much regard. It's not considered as the form of the game that you want to get good at because there isn't any of it played well. – you could have an entire professional career and never play an official match play event. Mm-hmm. on the PGA Tour. If you never qualified for the World Golf Match Play, you yeah, if you're not go, quite good enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: exactly <laughs> get right. to play
0: match play stuff. And what it loses, I was reminded of Nicholas Colsarts talking about that incredible first day he had at the Ryder Cup in 20, let's say 17. I can't remember what year it was. I must have been earlier than that, actually. When he played with Lee Westwood and made 42 birdies in six holes and won the match for them, yeah. and it was just an extraordinary thing. And he talked about how Westwood guided him around that, not in the where to hit it, but in the uh, don't you get, I'll hit first here because – and all of these little nuances that Colsart said afterwards, I would never have thought of any of that stuff. But all of that was crucial to the result. Yeah, Westwood was just driving. I was on fire and Westwood was just driving. These are the tactics. Mm. And that strategy I th- feel like is lacking a bit. There was an example on the, last da- on the second day, the last match of the day on the 18th hole. The Europeans had two putts for birdie. The Americans had two putts for par. And they'd both, you know, if they'd halved the hole, they would have halved the match. Both the Americans missed their par putts, but they kind of waited Still made until, them putt. Yeah, they putted one of the balls before saying – like, that's just a lack of awareness of, well, you're either saying both of them are going to three-putt from 15 feet, <laughs> yes. which is rude and un- <laughs> and not going to happen, or you just don't understand that in this situation what you say is, no, no, pick it up, that's it, we're done. Take the hats off and shake hands. And I felt like there was maybe a little bit of that lacking in some ways in some of the matches – uh, that we saw but overall that w- that would be an extraordinarily picky criticism
1: yeah i think the the european players give the impression that they get it that the
0: format fits their mindset a bit better. What, what do you think about the- I don't buy into that because let's be honest, and I think they said it on the coverage, something like, let's say it's 85% of the European team went to college in the States. Their golf experience as youngsters has They're been- Very not similar. Very different. As young youngsters, yes, there'd be a cultural difference in the way the game is played from the ages of five to 15, 16. But once you're an elite player in any of the European countries or the UK- yeah. you're playing by the same And It's the same here in golf. Australia. I mean, the Australian amateur has switched to stroke play, which is just what? an admission that this is no longer an amateur event. This is a professional in waiting event. Professional these waiting. people to, to perfect this form of the game because that's what they'll be playing for the rest of their lives. So I don't buy into that. Which make and it bring, It's the question I asked you last week. Why do we see this? And it repeats every time with these US versus Europe in both the men's and the women's. The Europeans tend to go better in the team format and then when it comes to the singles, the Americans dominate. There's no good reason for that that I can imagine. And Richard Gillis wrote in his book a few years ago, I think it was maybe the t- 2014 uh, Ryder Cup. Was there a Ryder Cup in 2014? I can't remember now. Whichever one, it was around that time. So, you? Know, um, uh, something like uh, 20 of the 24 players lived in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <You know>? <laughs> That's... <laughs> So yeah. so I just I don't understand why that's the case. I just don't. What, there's something that, there's cultural there. There's got
1: to be right something base. to it. I, now, I'm not saying the American team's unlikable, but they're less likable <laughs> than the Europeans. Now, now why is, is that? Now, is
0: partly biased? Well, because the Europeans really, in both the Ryder Cup and the Cylon Cup, they represent the rest of the world. So those of us that are locked out of these cups automatically gravitate to the rest of the world side, which is Europe, I think. Be unusual to find an Australian or a Kiwi or a Canadian who would barrack for the Americans uh, in these contests. So that's what I think that is mostly about. I mean, you feel European for a week every year, don't you? When the Solomon Cup and the Writer Cup come around, you become a European, unless you're working as a journalist, of course, in which case you're completely neutral. Yeah. <laughs> of developing in either way. Totally objective. But I think that's what that is, I I feel like. Because America, of course, and the reason it's America versus Europe, because, you know, culturally when this started, America was the world's powerhouse. Uh and it was yeah. natural to be a part, of, you know, if you were if you weren't American, then you were part of the underdog team. And who doesn't think like they, to be it, an underdog?
1: You know, they really still are the powerhouse. I think I think people point out that uh there's, you know, it's one country against there was eight countries or seven countries represented. I think, in the European team this time. But still, in terms of golf population uh, and availability of golf- Mm -hmm. They dwarf. They dwarf every other country. And resources put into golf, it it still dwarfs every other country.
0: Having said that, and I know this is a- um, Mike Clayton in particular likes to run this, this sort of argument constantly about all sorts of things. And it's an interesting one to consider, not that you can do it. If you were to start golf again, you would never have a Ryder Cup that was US versus Europe- it would be US versus the rest of the world. And that's probably truer of the Solheim Cup. If you were to start that event today, it would be, it may even be Korea versus the rest of the world, including America. It if could you be. look at the world rankings in golf, that's you would say that that would be the sensible way to do it. But some form of America versus rest of the world competition, including Europe, on either men's or women's. And a lot of people campaign for the President's Cup to become a mixed event, which would be fascinating. And the two teams, somebody laid out the two teams during the week, what they would have been, a combined men's and women's US team oh, yeah. versus a combined men's and women's rest of the world team. Compelling viewing. You, you wouldn't yeah. have been able to turn it off. It would have been. It would be an amazing. There are all sorts of reasons why it's not going to happen in the short term, but it would be amazing.
1: The emergence of Thailand, I think, is interesting, in that as well, in women's golf in particular, there's uh, a real there's a, a cohort of really strong Thai players now. Mm-hmm. And the thing that that says to me is, when you set the rules for these things, you you've got to account for that somehow down the track. You know, another country could emerge which just becomes ridiculously strong. That's probably not going to happen with Thailand to the extent that it's happened with with South Korea.
0: But but still, you know that that it's rule- what the President's Cup banks on. um at some point a sevy type character who is practicing golf on a beach somewhere in asia at the moment with no access to facilities who's going to be that amazing story of finding the game they were supposed to play is going to emerge and be a president's cup player and that will inspire a whole generation i get a bit i understand why people go the president's cup it's the poor cousin of the Ryder cup the same people and i'm been among them. I've been guilty of this myself. Oh, we should have more match play. And then when the match plays on, should have more team match play. Put on a big team match play and oh it's a dud because the PGA tour. So there's a lot wrapped up in that. But that does have that potential and we saw it again. The two really close matches we've seen in the President's Cup, both in Korea in twenty fifteen and Royal Melbourne twenty nineteen have been gripping. Gripping. Mm. Mm -hmm. You couldn't ask for more better spectacles. And they've got the potential to be as gripping as the Ryder Cup ultimately. Yeah. But it's team match play it just needs time. Yep. That's what it needs is time, and it's, you have to give the PGA Tour some kudos for continuing with the President's Cup, when it would have been much easier to say, we tried it and it didn't work.
1: I'm sure it comes up for debate every time they, they review the it. Uh, they,
0: but they really could – look, they would do themselves a lot of favours – with their own players, I think, if they said, we're going to make the President's Cup a mixed team event, because half of the top 12 players on the US two would go, get a rest. They yeah. get a rest. Because yeah. it's, it's the knock on the, the American team plays every year, whereas Europe and the rest of the world teams are every second year. What was so your this- argument about that destroys the Solheim Cup though? Because. Does it? Doesn't, but you, you can't pretend that you can just turn on a mixed event on, on the President's Cup and not have an impact on the Solheim Cup. Yep. because you've got an American team then. So you can't play this, well, not you can't. We're going to see it this year. Maybe you can. Maybe this is the solution. The Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup are played together, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But you, you, the reason the Solheim Cup's always been played in the opposite year to the Ryder Cup is so that it's not smothered by the Ryder Cup. Now, this year is different. Because of the pandemic, everything's changed and they're actually going to be the same year, so it'll be an interesting experience. So if that's the case, if you can't play the Solheim Cup in Ryder Cup years, well, then how can you have a president's cup, the logistics don't work. You've, you've got a bunch of players who are going to be asked to play twice in one year at some point. Right in a team yeah. event, and that's not going so, to yeah. Win. Half a
1: dozen American players are going to be that's exactly Playing right. two big team events in one year. That's right.
0: So, so look, it would actually be it's two
1: year. weeks like, without pay. That's
0: right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And who can afford that with the yeah. money they're making on the US tour? That's for sure. And even the top women are doing okay. They're not doing as well as the men, but compared to the rest of the world, they're doing okay, thank you very much, yeah, yeah, for uh, for playing golf. So there are logistical issues about how you would organize that. But if you put your eye on the big prize, it absolutely makes the most sense that the President's Cup become a mixed event. Yeah. No, it does. It certainly does make sense. But, yeah, that it
1: destroys – I can see your argument that it, it, from a scheduling point of view, how can the it, Solheim Cup continue if that's That's the case? right.
0: It's, it becomes really, really oh, – oh, okay, you might be able to that maybe the Ryder Cup would have to be sacrificed. I think realistically nobody expects that that would possibly be the case. If something had to be sacrificed, it would be the Solheim Cup. Yeah, interesting. So then the only other alternative then would be to have a rest of the world team that doesn't include – the Americans, and now you've weakened the whole notion. I mean, you, it's got to have a tribal aspect to it. It's what makes these things work. So the controversy that happened on day one with the overhanging ball, let's leave aside the specifics, that is all great stuff for these events because it makes the next one more interesting. That spice is what's lacking in the President's Cup. We're yet to have a really good, old-fashioned argy-bargy about something in the President's Cup, and the day we do, it will get more interesting immediately.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly added some spice to the next day
0: there. You, oh, you it, love a good it, rules controversy, don't you? I love a good rules snafu. Nobody does it like golf. Nobody in the world does a <laughs> rules snafu like It's
1: it. always obscure and inscrutable
0: well, and it, opaque Like everything and- with golf this is the whole point of the column I wrote. It's like life. It's such a complicated yeah. mess. You can't expect to go through the game without nobody. And there are people who have been watching the game for 40 years. Not one of them could have ever said to you before that week, here's a potential scenario that could unfold, and laid out the set of facts that were involved in that ruling.
1: No. Now, what of rule. No. And yet, golf does attempt to do That's that. Exactly have right. you seen the,
0: the, how thick the decisions book That's is for exactly. the rules of golf? And you get lots of complaining about it, people telling – new people come to golf and go, this is madness. There has to be a better way. And in 15 years, they've gone mad because there is no – Better way. The game is complicated. There are too many. What makes it incredibly interesting is that it has way more variables than most other sports. Tennis's big question is: Was it in or out? That's it. Yeah. There's your existential crisis. Does was any it in or other out? sport that- make mention of burrowing animals in their rules? Of course not. <laughs> or spectator <laughs> cups or pockets. Yeah. I mean, the most yeah. important piece of equipment in golf is the ball, yep. and any number of horrendous uh, outcomes can can grab it at any time. It can land in someone's pocket in a ball. It can be lost. here's the most important piece of equipment in the game. Oh, I've lost it. How did you lose it? And there might be a whole bunch of different outcomes based on that. So there's, you can't make a set of – they will always be imperfect, the rules of golf, and that's part of its appeal. The upside is golf is interesting because it's it lives in the world of shades of grey. Yeah. Rules don't like shades of grey. They just don't get on. But if you want the shades of grey that make golf such an amazing game, you accept that the rules are going to be imperfect and the shades of grey will occasionally be a problem.
1: Yeah, the, the, this rule with the ball overhanging the cup and Sagstrom's role in it, quarter's role in second it. Rule. The 10-second rule. Uh, Missy, Missy Jones, Missy Jones. Uh, former guest on our old yeah, I right. Golf podcast.
0: Yeah. I told you she'd be it. someone one day.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that combination of, of circumstances leads you to be able to say, and I think this was said, oh, nobody's at fault. And yet, in a much more technical definition- well, Sagstrom's at fault. Sagstrom's at fault. <laughs> like, there's so a couple you know, of things but, that were misunderstood. But you can still have that debate. Like, oh, you know, no, every, everybody can come away from that not feeling bad about themselves. Well,
0: it's the <laughs> perfect yet- storm, isn't it? So you had the people who said, what's the rules official doing getting involved? It's nothing to do with her. Well, in fact, and Missy Jones posted the photo of the the, the rules official's role that week, and it said specifically – because you've got a referee with every match for the entire 18 holes, which is unusual in golf, you don't have that at any stroke play event, the role of the rules officials is to interject themselves if they see a breach occur, yep. whether the players have noticed it or not. So she didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. She could either see it and say nothing about it, or she could see it and say, I think there might be something to look at here. She's done the right thing and contacted the TV team. Yes, the ball. And then there was the next thing was, well, the ball was never going to fall in the hole. You can't make a rule about... Who's judging whether the ball may or may not fall in? It's either overhanging or it's not. I could imagine being in that discussion when that rule was written. It's like, well, what should the rule say? Well, if the ball might fall in, then you can't pick it up with intensity. Well, who's judging that? So you either have the ball overhangs or it doesn't. You can mathematically prove that with a Just break a the line.
1: plane type of thing. That it's, you have that's in exactly right. NFL. so. It's
0: done that. It's fulfilled that requirement. Uh, no, none of those players. Nobody thought that ball was going to fall in. It wasn't no. going to fall. It would have to no. defy science to do it. But it was overhanging the hole. And this is where golf – this is why the, golf is problematic. You cannot make a rule there that will satisfy every potential outcome. It's not possible. Yeah. So there was you – know, and then the next argument is not really nothing to do with the rule. This notion that the US team should have conceded the next hole to make up for this unfortunate breach. And I think oh, what nonsense is that? Yeah. Well, it's problematic. It's an extraordinary thing to ask of two – How? what was the combined age of Ewing and Corder, who were the – Twenty 20- forty,
1: yeah. I mean, and how might can ask- you read the the room on that as well? You like, how can you in that situation? To- can you zoom out and say, "Oh, you know, the the correct thing to do in this circumstances"? Can I can I just poll this crowd around me to work out what the correct thing to do is, or can I poll Twitter quickly to work out what the correct exactly. thing to do is here?
0: You, under them- the pressure of that situation, there's no way you can make. No. The There's right like malice on the call. part of the Americans in that. and I'm guaran—I'm sure they felt bad about the outcome there, but it's not like it was of their making. You know, that's a big burden to place. And people pointed to the Nicholas Ryder Cup when he conceded to Jacqueline. Incomparable, those two situations. Oh, Day one of a 10th match. Yeah, No way would Nicholas have conceded. He would never have walked to that next tee in the circumstances of quarter and, and conceded the hole. And, in fact, Nicholas was lambasted by his teammates and captain the captain of that Ryder Cup, Sam Snead, was incredibly unhappy with Nicholas for conceding that putt. And mm. you know, we didn't come here to halve and retain the trade. We came here to win, is what Snead said. Yeah. Yeah. And he took that away from us. So, I was four all years later, the They
1: colluded to create that
0: <laughs> golf course, the concession. That's-, That's exactly right. So, there's a lot of stuff there that if you really start to unpack it, I mean – Golf's great with knee-jerk reactions, and you know, what I like is if you sit back and consider what the alternatives are, these situations almost invariably come back to, you know what, this is really the only possible outcome. If you just want to have a knee-jerk and say, oh, that was wrong, you can do that. But if you zoom out, you always see why things are the way they are and it makes sense. It feels yeah. to me. How, how ineffective are the
1: vice-captains in these situations? No, oh, well, that's a raw. And how many – what's the – how many vice
0: captains were they? And what's the plural of vice captain? Is it vice's well, is it, captain? Well, it's like attorney general? And I hope Stephen Proctor's listening because he's the one I would turn to on this. Yeah. I would imagine it's vice captains. Okay.
1: I, I want to push for vice's captain.
0: I know because of attorneys general. Yes. And I get that. But the difference there is about verbs and nouns and which is where. So is it holes in one or hole in ones? So I would say it's holes in one. I agree. For the same reason. Yeah. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to get Stephen Proctor's input, input on that or any other English professors who happen to listen to us and are not they horrified by the <laughs> nonsense that we go on with on a regular basis, but it's a good point. What do they do? I don't know. I don't know they do much. Um,
1: they hand out sandwiches and things like that, I think. But, yeah, it'd be that's the sort of situation, I think, when the player needs a bit of perspective. and
0: Look, for a captain you know, to walk to that and say, listen, I want you to concede this hole, absolutely, you can put that on the captains. They're the captain because they've got experience in the game, they've been around a long time, that's different. Uh, but can you imagine the outcry if Pat Hurst had walked out onto the course and said to Corder and Ewing, I want you to concede this hole to make up for something that wasn't your fault on the previous hole? It
1: uh, really just, escalates the whole
0: situation oh, to
1: something it, you've got you've got a situation and then it adds a whole other situation on top yeah, of it, doesn't that's it?
0: That's exactly right. Um look and was and it was brought up. This is why I say these rule snafus are great for these events. We're still talking about the Annika Chip in two thousand. I remember watching that happen. It was magnificent. <laughs> And the accusations were astounding. Oh, they let her do it. They waited till she hit. Then they told her and it was deliberate and she was in tears. I remember, I can distinctly remember her just sobbing on the green. It was fantastic stuff and it made the 2002 Cup that much more interesting and everyone since because it's in the Dottie Pepper with the the blow-up clown, Doddy Pepper's face on it, they were all punching it in the European team, you know, those clowns that go that. down I, I and get back I don't remember
1: that, but I yeah. They
0: haven't Leona Maguire has hinted that they heard whisper Jennifer Cupcho said something on the Saturday night or Sunday night before the singles that something leaked out of the US team room, that Jennifer Cupcho had said something they didn't like. Oh. And of course, Maguire went and did Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's juicy. That's but exactly. When I switched
1: on the coverage on the singles, because it was very <laughs> early morning here, but the very first thing I saw when I switched on the – coverage was Cupcho smashing a putter against a leg and then throwing it down against <laughs> just, a bag. I thought, a I'm, great start here.
0: I'm making a hot chocolate and getting into this. This is this is just the sort of stuff that we want to see. Yeah, it was fantastic. I actually thought that was going to be – we'll come to Leona Maguire because it's quite a lengthy interview. We better get started. Uh, what a revelation she was. But I really thought that match, I picked it to be a half. I thought the two of them, there would not be an inch given and that it would end up being a half. That was – a telling result for Leona Mua. Five and four is not winning a match. That is a drubbing. And both of those Wouldn't players count. will go away yep. equally remembering that match for the rest of their lives for obvious yeah. reasons. That would Yeah, her be fifth
1: match of the week as well. She must have been tired, but she was getting by on adrenaline, I guess. And she's just such a – I, I spoke about her for, I think, a few good minutes in last week's podcast, and I thought I was laying it on a bit thick at the time. No. You're but now I feel completely, actually. I feel completely justified because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know she just got that look about her. She's a nasty competitor. She's like she's full of piss and vinegar.
0: Yeah, <laughs> she's <There's laughs> really no malice just, in her. No, good, no. good lord, you wouldn't want to fight her. You know, no, <laughs> she's no, not n- not not a chance. Just a stone
1: cold killer. Oh, yeah, she really God. is. Um, and you know, she was hitting form. Like it, it's easy to get a bit carried away with a player from a good performance in a in a team's event like this. But she was just. There was a good confluence of hitting form and being a great competitor at the same time. We've got to always remember golfers can't turn on form. No. They they just can't turn on form. So we'll we'll be excited about her in team match play events for years and years to come, but she might not repeat this level of performance.
0: Or she might go on to become Ian Poulter. Yeah, she could. Who does seem to turn it on (laughs) in team match play, as does – it's the
1: extraordinary thing with Rory Sabatini. He turned on no form at all in this thing that he'd been working towards yeah. for years. He turned it on and got the silver medal at the Olympics. Bizarre.
0: Just isn't it? remarkable. Bizarre. It's golden. It? You don't see golfers turn form on like that. No. No, usually they Rory- build a bit to it. Stenson's been building these last couple of weeks to something, you know, trying to play his way into the Ryder Cup. You, you see these things build. You're right. Uh, whilst Maguire is interesting, what does that do to Jennifer Cupcho? She has been a winner all her life. She is an extraordinary player. That is a devastating loss for a player. That could go two ways. That might inspire her to get even better or it might be an initial chink in the armour that may take two decades to play out. But I would think it's been a long time since she was handed a five and four whooping in match play. Yeah, it was pretty crushing, wasn't it?
1: Leona mentioned after that they had – a bit of a history like they've played I don't think each there was any love
0: between them yeah I don't think there was any love No, that, that that the mention of something being said in the team room and leaking out by Leona Maguire that's not an accidental <laughs> uh, thing that she said there I don't think
1: yeah but it was, uh, but it'd be interesting to see cup um she's how, good yeah how it affects her in she's future years
0: really good player she she was until that she'd been really impressive for the week I thought
1: uh, she's got that swagger as well in in What'd a different way history to Kurt? the way
0: didn't you yeah, call she's her the, got
1: that. Yeah, she the really new Christie Kerr <laughs> gives a Christy Kerr vibe off. I do think she's yeah America's new Christy Kerr. Um, she's got kind of got that confidence swagger. Um, and uh, uh, and and has been backing it up to this point in her career. Um, but now we've got Altamore as sort of <laughs> has emerged from this Isn't American the quiet, team.
0: The quiet the assassin, one, something the, like the, that. I don't know the sniper from a hundred yards, maybe. <laughs> Not, yeah. not going to confront you in the street, but you know, don't think that that means that you are not going to get the bullet in the back. She's uh-
1: she's always been effective in this thing, but at a time on in that last day when the US were trying to drum up a bit of enthusiasm, and you could see them doing it in various half-hearted sort of ways, like holding a five-foot putt for a tie on a hole, and then walking off the green and and flapping your arms to try and get the crowd to get excited over a tie. Um, that. That was one way – like, every player, you could see that they were under pressure to, like they, – they obviously had some team meeting that said, everybody, try and pump the crowd up so that you can hear the cheers from hole to hole. They watched and, the
0: Brookline tape from 99.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it, it all looked a little bit contrived to me, except when Altamore did it. She was – and there was nothing – there didn't seem to be anything overly aggressive. There wasn't that that undue aggressive edge to no, – like, no. that jaw-thrusting sort of aggression Yeah, with the way she was – Celebrating a hold putt or something—it was just genuine excitement when she hold when she did something great. This genuine excitement coming off her, and the crowd fed off that without her having to flap her arms
0: around. It was it was fantastic stuff. I thought she was a real star. I'm reminded. I agree. I'm reminded. Speaking of that, maybe they did watch the 1999 Brookline. Uh, thing, because David Duval was completely out of character in that Ryder Cup, where he was doing the same thing, you know, the finger behind the ear, can I hear (laughs) you, can you cheer? (laughs) That's almost as out of character for him as what you're discussing, because it would be out of character for Alta to be that fist-pumping, but you're right, she was genuine when she did it. She was authentic, whereas some of the others, it didn't look quite, so we probably should listen to this interview with Leona Maguire, which I remember at the time, I've only listened back to about the first 10 minutes of it, but... I remember coming away from that interview thinking, what an extraordinarily intelligent and balanced young woman. I think she will deal with the storm of publicity that this has generated. She was on the front page of the Irish newspapers on Saturday or Sunday, I think it was, along with a couple of other Irish women who, you know, there was a whole front page of the thing dedicated to Ireland's great sporting women performances at the weekend. I think she'll deal with that. She's equipped to deal with that better than some others, and I think – we saw a side of Nellie Corder this week that perhaps showed some of the stress of being the world number one and the dominant player of the last six months. She didn't look happy at all this week. I don't see Maguire's reaction being that way. No, she Corder looked absolutely miserable.
1: Yeah, but Maguire, you know, for the moment, we'll see. Like, she's going to we enter a see. phase of her career now with incredible popularity. I wonder, Rod, would serious question, would you – Leona Maguire has a sister, Lisa Maguire, mm-hmm. a twin sister, also a very good player, mm-hmm. who's gotten into player management, mm-hmm. and will do very well. That'll be. She's with the modest Best golf modest golf, golf thing. But she gets to hang with Niall Horan. She's already she hangs with Niall Horan. She's going to have a fantastic career. Whose career would you rather have at this stage, Lisa or Leona?
0: Uh, I'm more cut out for. Her. Are you asking seriously? I'm more cut out for Lisa's role. Me too.
1: Yeah, I, no, I, would, the, I wouldn't take. I wouldn't swap places with a really high-profile professional golfer for anything.
0: I'm a lieutenant, and if you're going to be the player, you need to be a general. Yeah, yeah I'm a good right. lieutenant, and I should yeah. never be a general. That's the yeah. that's the truth of it. And I would take. I, would, I could do Lisa's role. I could. I could learn how to do that. I could never learn to to deal with the things Leone is going to have to deal with because a bit like Norman here in Australia, and Rory in Ireland. She's going to become the household name associated with golf in Ireland. The pressures on her, particularly at home, will be extraordinary. And as you'll hear, she's from a small town, a very small town, not even a golf town. And this is a very, very, very different world that she's entering now. I think she's up to it. I I came away very impressed with her intellectually. I thought she was extremely smart. I never laid a glove on her. She dodged every difficult question beautifully. Didn't even seem like she was dodging it until you listened back later and thought, gee, she got out of that nicely, didn't she? (laughs) Uh, just a natural with all of that stuff. And I think she, I do think she's, she's thoughtful and intelligent. Um, but it won't, won't be an easy road in a lot of ways for her. I mean, that, you know, fame is a gilded cage, but gilded cages are still cages. Uh, and that's a, that's the world that she's entering. So I wish all the best, but I, I found her very likable and I hope that, um, bit of background on where she's from, what it's about. And it also got us out of having to find a guest for the week and all the hard work that <laughs> the pod. So I, was, I think when I suggested you went, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> It'll be one of our longest episodes, but it will be enjoyable. Lo, been good to have you along. You did give some, uh, if a child was to draw a golf course perspective, so that was a, a tick in that box. Thanks for that. Been uh, good to have you along. What are we going to do next week? Thanks, Rod. I don't know. We'll have to work something out. we really to think about that, isn't it? It's yep. <laughs> still this week. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Leona Maguire. Tell me the name of the town that you're from in Ireland and how you pronounce it, and can you get much further from there than here at Bonneville on the north coast of New South Wales?
2: Yeah, it's a, a place called Cavan, a pretty pretty small town in rural Ireland, sort of about two hours northwest of Dublin. Not many people have, have heard of it or that. A lot of people go to the more coastal regions of Ireland, I guess, when they visit, but uh, yeah, a little ways from home.
0: Is it a, is it a golf hotspot? How did you come to golf from there?
2: It's not, really. Um, I grew up. Two minutes away from a golf course, dad played. Um, so there's a little nine hole par three course. So started on that and, and kind of worked my way up from there.
0: Mm-hmm. be a while since you played a nine hole par three course, I'd imagine, <laughs> given where you are in the game now. I read on, I went to your Wikipedia page. If I was to go through your achievements as an introduction, we'd have to end the interview there because you've done an awful lot. What are you, 22 now?
2: 21?
0: 24. 24 now, yeah, right. So get old. it. But you must almost feel like a veteran in some ways. You won. Big events as a 12-year-old, big events as a 13-year-old, as a 14-year-old. It's been a, it's been quite a long time in the game for you, hasn't it, at, at sort of the elite level?
2: Yeah, that's where a few, few of the girls were chatting about it. It's technically my rookie year on the L.E.T., yeah. but it, it doesn't really feel like it. <laughs> no. I feel like I've seen a lot of these girls for, for a long time now, and I suppose I've been fortunate to play a lot of pro events in my amateur career and, and get to travel the mm-hmm. world and, and do a lot of exciting things. So uh, my... I kind of feel like a little bit of a veteran, but then I suppose a lot of new, new experiences still to come.
0: And, of course, the game changes. The line between amateur and professional golf is much more blurred than it used to be, isn't it, at the elite level? As you say, most of the girls out here would be quite familiar with you now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think this um, was the standard of, of amateur golf, I think, has, has risen instrumentally over the last few years and i think uh, i suppose we're fortunate that a lot of if you win a big amateur event these days a lot of the time you get an exemption to play in a pro event and get to test your game against the world's best and um i was fortunate enough to do that a, on a few occasions get to play some let events some lpg events even some some majors so it's always nice that when you get to tee it up against the girls you're watching on tv week when we out and uh yeah get to play with them
0: mm. Were you one that was grabbed by golf immediately? Because of course, from a nine-hole par three course in a small town in rural Ireland, there's nothing to suggest that somebody's going to do what you're doing and and become a major player on the world stage. Did it grab you straight away? And what was it about golf?
2: Um, well, I've have, have a twin sister, Lisa, and yes, I think we're,
0: we were we'll come to that. we were always <laughs>
2: pretty competitive, and uh, growing up, we played just about any sport. Dad was dad was big into sport and. I suppose we played uh, a lot of soccer, a lot of, of Gaelic football at home. We were big into swimming, and he'd been always a keen golfer and, and really wanted us to... Good to player, give,
0: you dad know? uh, your-
2: <laughs> Good enough, yeah. <laughs> okay. He doesn't really play as much anymore, uh-huh. I think. Once we started beating him, yeah, then that's, he kind of... Gave
0: the game away, yeah, yeah, yeah fair
2: he enough. he to, to caddy, and he spends a lot of time on the golf course now just not playing himself, uh-huh. yeah, Um, but... Yeah, bit by bit we kind of caught on I suppose and in the summertime was when we um, really got got after it and I think once uh, swimming meets and golf tournaments kind of started to clash um, and there just really wasn't enough hours in the day to had to kind of choose between and um, chose golf. And
0: and chose golf.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What about golf? What, why golf over swimming? You must have made a decision. What is it about golf?
2: Yeah, well I suppose we figured we we're never going to be six foot two <laughs> and and. Obviously, one day I'd love to play in the Olympics, but um, yeah, uh, I suppose being in, being in a swim pool for six, seven hours a day, cooked up in a hot swim pool, compared to being out in, on a golf course, is uh, there's not really much of a comparison there, and uh, I suppose but that's the beauty of golf. It's different every day, whereas a swim pool's kind of the same, no matter where you go.
0: What about the game itself? You would have met many people, I'm one of them, who are literally addicted to it. <laughs> are you one of those, or is it just something you happen to have a really high level of proficiency at and you enjoy the competition. I think it's different for pros sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I'm, I'm competitive in no matter what I do. I think it, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I, I want to win. And I suppose that's the beauty about golf. It's, it's a different challenge every day. It's something different, different yeah. golf courses, different grasses, different weather. Um, I've been fortunate that I've got to, to visit a lot of incredible places um meet a lot of incredible people as well I I'd, I'd never been on an airplane before before I went to to a tournament in England so um so that's that's the aspect that's drawn to me the sort of all those new experiences and yeah. and everything like that that goes along with golf
0: How old were you when you got on that plane for the first time
2: Uh I think I was about 12 maybe Okay. yeah
0: 12 was an interesting age for you to have mentioned because mm. I had a look through your Wikipedia page, as I said. I won't go through all the achievements. But at the age of 12, you were winning big events, uh, both at home and on the continent, mm. against fields of much older players and more experienced players, under 16 tournaments, under 18 tournaments, under 19 tournaments, and you were winning. These are scratch tournaments. of mm. Did you know what you were doing at the time? When you look back now and you think of a 12-year-old kid <laughs> beating fields of 17-, 18-, 19-year-old players who've been playing for a long time, did you realise at the time what you might realize now about
2: how special Um, that is no not really I think we were just sort of pitching up and going playing and then obviously trying to do as well as we could I suppose uh looking back and we probably seemed like the annoying little kids that kept showing up (laughs) and winning
0: everything yeah and then back to rural (laughs) Ireland
2: yeah absolutely I think no I think we were just we were just going to play I don't think we um sort of were taking much stock of it um I suppose there wasn't that many 12-year-olds playing at that time, so they were the only events to play in. Um, obviously, 12 and little uh, younger kids have a lot more options of, of events to play in now, which is great, and there's little mini tours being set up and a lot healthy, more options. Think?
0: Is that healthy, do you think? Does that rule out that that system? I think it's probably not uniquely American, but it seems to be mm-hmm. particular in America with the junior. Uh, it's almost a junior tour, as you say. It's an expensive thing if yeah, your kid's into absolutely. golf. absolutely. That probably wouldn't have worked for you and Lisa, would it? If that had been the system in Ireland, your parents are school teachers, so mm-hmm. qu- quite a humble sort of background, as I understand it. Is that healthy to be moving in that direction? The competition's clearly good, but yeah, that, more I think than that, it's, it? it's
2: definitely a tricky one. I think even um, going to college in the states, obviously for Lisa and I, was uh, was a big thing, and getting a scholarship to go over there. And um, I even see now that. The people were recruiting to college. Um, they're starting from their 10, 11 years old, playing mm. on all these tours and, and being recruited to college. And I think if that had been the way when we were doing it, probably wouldn't have been an option. So definitely puts a lot of pressure on the parents mm-hmm. and a lot of pressure on the kids. Um, so I think ultimately balance, I suppose, is everything. Any mm. um, anytime I'm talking to, to parents or kids, I I'm very grateful that, that our parents didn't um, push us too much into golf. They very much left it up to us. We played a mixture of, of all kinds of sports. And um, I think growing up, that's, that's important to develop a lot of different skills. And um, specializing in golf probably too early isn't, isn't necessarily a good thing either. Um, but so long as the, the kids have a genuine love and, and passion for what they're doing, I think that, that can't help but, but be a good thing.
0: It can be all-consuming golf, can't yeah. it? particularly for a youngster and you can see how easy burnout could happen if you just... I've heard Kari talk previously about she grew up in sort of semi-rural-ish Queensland played all sports and soccer and cricket and football and she said that's the healthiest thing not just for the for the, your game but as a human. At, at the bottom of all golf professionals is a person, isn't there? We forget that as fans.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, I suppose golf is very an individual sport so um, anytime as, as a young person that you can get to play as part of a team as well is, is something very important. I... I absolutely love my four years in college playing as part of a team and, um, there's certain values and, and things you learn as, as being part of a team that you just don't get maybe in an individual sport playing for yourself and um, you learn to play for other people, rely on other people and, and you learn so much from their experiences and values as well. So, um, yeah, I definitely encourage, um, young kids and, and parents to be involved as in, in as many things as possible and then sort of pick your passions as you go along. Mm.
0: You keep mentioning we, of course. Your sister Lisa, the two of you were quite the force in amateur golf for many, many, many years. Uh, you've got your card. You're here now. I think Lisa might have missed her card at the mm-hmm. LETQ yep. school, although I'm sure it's not the last we've heard of. How important was that we when it was two of you going to all of these events as 12-year-olds, two of you going to all of these events as foot. Was that – when you look back, is that important? Would Leona, as just an individual, have been maybe as successful if it wasn't for Lisa as well? Not just pushing each other, but to have – it's almost having someone there with you, isn't it, for the journey?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think Lisa's been a huge part of uh, my entire career. I think, I suppose, uh, younger she was better than me, so I was always trying to push myself to to try and beat her. And definitely that sort of competition, a little bit of rivalry, really pushed both of us on. And um, like I mentioned before, that we were like a little mini team in ourselves, nearly. So we were we were never doing anything by ourselves. We always had had someone to practice with, someone to go to the tournament with, someone to cheer along. Um and that was that was a great thing to have and I think uh I suppose we were in a very fortunate position. There's not a lot of people that can, can have that experience and share it with someone like that and um yeah, she's been been an incredible part and, and still is. Um we still practice together whenever whenever we're at home and um we've travelled to some tournaments together and yeah, I definitely wouldn't be where I where I am without her.
0: You said there when we were younger she was better. When she hears you say that, what's she <laughs> going to say? <laughs>
2: I think she'd agree. <laughs> I think she'd she be pretty happy to take credit and, um, But yeah, no, we definitely. She was definitely always stronger and uh, a little bit taller. I was a little bigger, so she always used to hit the ball further than me. Uh-huh. And um,
0: are you identical twins? We're not. No, no but
2: uh, people still get us mixed up all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, we still look pretty similar. Um, twins so. are a
0: funny thing, aren't they? You're having a, a life experience that not many people have yeah, having a twin.
2: Absolutely, I think uh, our our we have a younger brother as well and he always used to get a little mad that he never had a twin like us as well. But uh It's
0: like a built-in friend, isn't yeah, it? And absolutely. a built in enemy all in one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, we were we were very lucky. We we're we we're very close both but on the golf course and off the golf course. So it's uh it's great to have someone like that.
0: Mm. Now of course the two of you, and I was really interested to read this. I imagine this must have been a huge moment for you. You got to take the Ryder Cup onto the stage at the K Club in two thousand and six. What do you remember about that? What was that like?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it was definitely one of the highlights of Of My life, I think, uh, I suppose getting to, we got to watch, go watch the Ryder cup for a few days in Ireland. And, um, it was probably the first big experience we had of a, of a major golf tournament. We had the, we had the Irish open in Ireland, but never been to like a major championship. So getting to watch the guys, obviously Europe won. So it was a very special week and then getting to, to bring up the Ryder cup. I think we got to go in behind the, behind the scenes and meet all the guys and, uh, meet all the, our heroes that we'd grown up watching television, um, the Irish guys, Paul Paul Podge Carrington, Darren Clark, which was obviously a big week for, and then very emotional to,
0: one for him. Wasn't yeah, it, so. and
2: got to got to meet all the American guys as well. Got to meet Tiger and and all those guys, and we we had pictures up on our bedroom wall for for quite a while after that. So uh, yeah, it was a very very special memory, and got to bring up up the cup. I remember they had to they had to blue tack the lid on just in case we drop it. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was a special day.
0: Have you met some of those players since? And have you talked about your memories of that?
2: The Irish guys have always been uh, hugely supportive of of, of Irish golf in general. It doesn't matter if it's on the the men's side and the women's side. And um, I suppose Podrick was on the team with me in Rio for the Olympics and and Paul was the captain and um, I've learned a huge amount from both of them and and they've been a tremendous help to me, especially making this jump to to the professional ranks as well. And and they're always there at the, the end of a phone call and no one... That there's guys like that with with their experience and and what all they've achieved is is a nice feeling to have mm-hmm. as well.
0: He's a really interesting char- character, Podrick isn't he? He's incredibly mm-hmm. intelligent. Is he a, is he a bit of a national hero in Ireland? We read from outside that he's a bit of a national. Is that true? Is he?
2: Yeah, is absolutely. He I think that everybody speaks incredibly highly of him. He's he's very down to earth, such a nice guy. Very well read. Um, I think Podrick would would stand up and have a conversation with you for for hours and hours and hours. And I think he just has a he has a genuine love and passion for the game, and um, that's that's quite unrivalled. And even at this stage in his career, he's always trying to learn more, get better, and uh, that's pretty inspiring for mm-hmm. anybody with with all his majors under his belt as well.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a fascinating. Guy. I listen to interviews with him sometimes, mm-hmm. and he's terrific. I think I feel like in golf we sometimes overlook the importance of the little things. And I think about you saying, you know, we didn't we, there wasn't much golf to go and watch in Ireland. I think we have the same thing here in Australia. Just that a potential young golfer getting to see a celebrity, a, a big star golfer, a Jeff Ogilvie or a Podrick Harrington or a Darren Clark or a Rory McIlroy. Maybe talk a bit about the importance of that because for all the programs we run, you don't see any, do where they say, let's get a busload of kids and take them to the golf and let them follow Tiger Woods for a couple of holes and they might fall in love with the game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I suppose the big thing for kids is they copy what they see and if uh, if they can't see it, well – then there's probably less chance of them, of them doing it. And I suppose, uh we've been lucky. We've always had the Irish Open. They always let, um, I think kids under 16 in free and mm-hmm. there's always, always big crowds. I remember dad bringing us to the Irish Open and, um, getting to walk around and, and seeing Podrick and, and those guys playing. And, um, yeah, it's definitely a huge thing. And, and the more it can be, have golf events and have people come out and watch even on TV helps a lot. Um, I suppose it's
0: disappearing from there too isn't it? Golf yeah, free to air TV if you don't have pay TV yeah, certainly it's definitely in it's definitely a,
2: a struggle and I suppose that's that's a big thing at, at home in Ireland we've we've launched the 20 by 20 campaign which is trying to get more even visibility for female sport um in Ireland and people you know. mean lost
0: it what do you mean you've do you say you've lost the twenty by twenty campaigns? Or no, launched the twenty. Oh, launched. Sorry, yeah. I thought you said you. Lost. What, yeah. what sort of a nation no. cuts a women's sport yeah. program in twenty 20- no. nineteen? No, no.
2: Yeah, no. So that'll be. I think that's going to be great. We're trying to sort of increase participation and, and media coverage of of women's mm-hmm. sport by twenty percent by by twenty twenty, and okay. that'll be, I think, a great initiative to sort of um, to build on that and trying to get more more girls out to watch female events. It doesn't matter what sport it is, trying to get more coverage in the papers on TV. So, um, yeah, it's a big big part of, of growing sport and, and participation in general.
0: It's a bit of a movement, isn't it? We've got a similar thing happening here in mm. Australia. We've got Australian women's AFL now is quite big. The cricket is growing. Uh, it sounds like you're doing the same sort of thing. Do you feel that as a young woman travelling around the world as a sportswoman? Do you feel a bit of a movement? Is there, Or is it only in small pockets where we're making um, an
2: effort? I definitely think it, it's definitely... Uh, in more sports than others, I think, uh, I suppose we've been lucky in golf that, um, definitely at home in Ireland, the media have always been hugely supportive of us. Um, obviously, we'd, me being the only Irish golfer out in the European tour right now, we'd, we'd like to have, a uh, another handful out here pretty soon. We'll take a but, bit of uh, pressure off you too. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I'd like to have a few of the girls out here join me, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I definitely think it's improving. I think there's, there's definitely kind of a shift in, in perspective and, and focus towards the, the women's game. And I think, uh, the more people see and, and read about it and go watch it, I think they, they kind of realize how good these girls actually are um, and there's maybe not as big a gap between the men's game and, and the women's game as people might think. Mm.
0: Ultimately, professional golf is entertainment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And professional women's golf is entertaining to watch and I've often wondered why there might be a barrier, why some people just don't seem to embrace it more. Any thoughts on that as to why?
2: Yeah, I suppose maybe there's that, that little bit of a mindset that, that the game, men's game is, is a lot more powerful and maybe it's more impressive to watch. But I think, uh, the people with that perspective have never seen, uh, Lydia Coe or a, an NB Park hit a wedge to a foot. So, um, I think there's obviously different, different aspects of the game, but, um.
0: Fascination with power is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Where do you sort of stand on that? Cause we, I mean, we have long hitters in women's golf yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. But- it, women's golf feels a bit more balanced to me in that sense. Men's golf has become all about power and almost power yeah. only. Women's golf isn't that yet, is it?
2: No, not quite. It's definitely getting longer and longer. Obviously, there's there's some girls that hit it just as far nearly as some of the men. Um, and it always fascinates me when I play in pro-arms with guys and they always say how they can they can relate to the, the women's game a lot more. Um, they can't relate to your, your Cameron Champs and your Rory McBride, they're hitting mm. three fifty three sixty off every drive. You uh, can,
0: let's be honest. That's, <laughs> it's madness, isn't it? But I suppose the thing about it, the owner, is what we've done in golf is focus on that about those guys. But, of course, they're fabulous putters. They've got incredible short games. They're great wedge players. We just don't talk about it, do we? And so golfers who watch and and sort of learn the game from the pros – aren't learning the right things like golf is a much more rounded the game game than just long is an advantage if you can do the rest of it
2: yeah absolutely i suppose even if you look back to tiger at the the height of his career it was it was a short game and his putting that won him all those majors it wasn't necessarily uh off the tee yeah and i think that's i suppose it's that's the fun part a lot of people yeah. love to go to the range and beat balls and yeah. try and hit it as far as they can and, and get on on track man and launch monitors and see what numbers they can throw out but uh yeah, ultimately, I suppose short game and putting is, is what wins That's big what, tournaments.
0: <clears throat> it's where golf is actually. Mm-hmm. It, it's always struck me that long driving is kind of – it's, it's the fast food of golf. <laughs> it's nice, but it's ultimately not satisfying and you can't really live on it. There's a lot more <laughs> to the game. Speaking of Tiger, you mentioned Tiger there. Of course, he's, a, you know, he's the icon of our generation, your generation and mine. We're a long way apart, but he, he spans both. I suppose the impressive thing about Tiger is his longevity and all of that winning, the pressure of winning. You've done a lot of winning. Is it a habit? I I note that you've kind of won at each level as you've come up. A lot of people point to Tiger and say that Earl Woods did a great job of making sure that Tiger won at a level before he went to the next level. Is there anything in that? Talk a bit about winning, and most of us don't do it. So you've got a you've got a unique perspective.
2: Yeah, obviously, there's there's no better feeling probably in in any sport than winning. Um, that's it's all point what, of sport, you're, isn't it? what you're trying to do yeah. every week um, is is to win and. Yeah, I suppose uh, I had a long amateur career and, and kind of worked my way up the levels and started off in, in Ireland and then moved to Europe and then over and back in the States and then on to college golf. And I suppose a lot of people asked me, would I turn pro at 16, 17, 18, 19 every year? I was kind of getting questions of, will you turn pro this year? Will you turn pro this year? And um, I always said I'd do it when I was ready. I'd, I'd do it when I felt that my game was enough to, to challenge at the pro level and, um
0: your physical game or other part? Because golf think- very quickly stops becoming about the swing plane and the putting stroke and about this and all the other mm-hmm. stuff that goes on with being a professional, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot more to golf than than just on the course. And uh, I think you have to be ready. And I suppose four years in college for me was, was enough to – to sort of make sure i was ready in in all aspects and and feeling like i was prepared and i think preparation's a big thing for me in in any of those tournaments that i won i felt like i was prepared and and ready to really give it my best shot and i don't really have to do things so um whenever i feel like i'm ready and prepared that's when when i do my best and i think that's a that's a big part of winning as well
0: was it hard to resist that temptation at the age of 60, especially when you're having so much success I know you play at a few pro events, and I'm sure even at that stage you would have measured your game against the professionals. And thought, eh, I could compete with these guys out here. Was there was there a temptation to to turn pro earlier ever?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Any time you get to tear up alongside your heroes, you'd love to if you'd love to be out there week in, week out doing it. Uh, would have been nice not to have to go back to school on the Monday morning after <laughs> after tearing it up on a more Sunday. profitable too. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> I suppose my parents being teachers they always they always sort of valued education and and always stressed the importance of that and I member, remember Potter Carrington saying before to me that the same sort of dedication and hard work that it take to do your studies would be the same to to succeed on tour and and that's something that that always stuck. Stuck with me, and um, I suppose my degree will, will be no load to carry. Um, I wouldn't change the experiences I had in college for the world. And uh, What did you study? At psychology the... and marketing. Okay. So hopefully it'd be pretty useful to me in golf in the basically, is what world. you've yeah. studied
0: there, isn't it? Let me read something here. On 11th of May, this is from your Wikipedia page, from 2017. On 11th of May, Maguire was selected for the College Sports Information Directors of America academic all-district women's at-large team. which recognizes the nation's top student-athletes for their combined performances athletically and in the classroom. Is that fair, Leona, that you're both outstanding at golf <laughs> and outstanding at the academics? And on a serious note, is academics something you enjoy? Did you enjoy your time at college and the study part Yeah, of
2: it? no, I definitely did. I think there was, there was a really good balance there. Um, I enjoyed competing, playing alongside my teammates, and then I also enjoyed what I was studying as well. I found it, found it really interesting. And
0: you uh, a poindexter? I what? Are you a poindexter? Do kids not use the word Poindexter anymore? Poindexter is like a, you know, the nerdy kids with glasses who are good at maths <laughs> and other stuff. Are you one of them?
2: Uh, a little bit, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, I enjoyed school, but, uh, I didn't enjoy the homework and all the rest and were sitting, sitting down at tournaments to write papers. But, um, no, it was, I think it was a good balance not to have, uh, all golf, and, and that was it. I think that's that's been a big part of uh, not getting burnt out, I suppose, that um, I'm 24 and I'm still, every day I'm looking forward to going out on the course and, and stuff like that, knowing that I have that behind me. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: 130 weeks, 131 weeks at the top of the world amateur rankings. Um, I imagine that becoming the world number one amateur is, and professional at some point, is a goal. Once you get there and you're there for so long, does it become a motivator to keep doing it, or is it? in a funny way, a bit of a burden to try and stay there.
2: No, I mean obviously you, you always want to try and be the best at, at whatever you do and um, I worked my way up uh, I think I got there near the end of my freshman year in college and it sort of, every time they'd, every once in a while people would update me in so many weeks and so many weeks. It a its own and,
0: story doesn't it? You
2: yeah, it wasn't story. really something that I personally, I wasn't logging on every uh-huh. week to check what I was doing and um, it was kind of a byproduct of just playing well and, and winning tournaments and um, I think that the Irish media at home kept a track on it and every once in a while I get a message to say it's, it's so many weeks. But, um, yeah, you want to be the best. You want to um, up your game to a level and, and obviously you'll always have challenges as well. So they pushed me to, to get even better. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really something I thought, thought about while I was doing it, but uh, it'll be something nice to look back on.
0: I've written it down, so that's nice. <laughs> you mentioned the Olympics before. I recall talking to Sue O oh some time ago. The Olympics to people of my generation for golf, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of the golf in the Olympics. I'm in that brigade. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've got our majors in both the games and it's not necessary. But Sue told me something which kind of made me think differently, that she remembers being about 11 years old on the putting green at Metropolitan when she heard the news that they'd said golf was going to be in the Olympics. And for her, that immediately became a motivator. And it feels like that's a, a generational shift. For her, it suddenly became something that was doable. Are you in that camp? Did you feel the same about that? Because –
2: yeah, I think I, well, growing up as a swimmer, swimming was something that, mm-hmm. that I thought I might do. Um, I grew up, I think the first Olympics I remember was Sydney uh, in 2000 and watching Michael Phelps and Ian Thorpe and those guys and Grant Hackett in the pool. And I thought maybe someday I could do that as well. And, um, then when I, when I shifted to golf, golf wasn't in the Olympics. So that was kind of a, a dream of mine that kind of had to die for a little bit. And, um, the Olympics is the biggest sporting event in the world. Um, and I think, getting to a part of that first one is I mean it was an incredible experience something that that I'll never forget and um yeah I think I'm big pro Olympics I suppose um I think it's it's the biggest sporting event there is and and to win a gold medal is is something very very special and not many people get the opportunity to do it and uh I suppose you get 16 chances every four years to win a major championship but you'll only get one to win a gold medal and um I think even even talking to the guys and listening to the guys like, like Justin Rose and them that did go and, and did win medals, I think is it's something very special.
0: What was it like being in the village and all that other stuff? Because Sue was there. She mm-hmm. made the team. Yeah. You, know, you were there. What was it like, that whole experience?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the best memories I've ever had. Um, got to stay in the village with all the athletes. I suppose the Irish team was, was quite a small team. We didn't have that big of a team, so we all stayed together. We had a lot of meals together, breakfast, lunch, went to watch – Everybody else competing. I think that sense of camaraderie and, and team spirit, is something that you don't really get. Um, this was being the only Irish player out on tour right now. It's, it was something very different to me. I had the, had the boxers and the badminton players and the swimmers and everything come to the golf course and cheer me on. And everybody's decked out in the same uniform. And, you know, anytime you get to represent your country is something very special, but to do it on the biggest sporting stage in the world is 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 something incredible and i had people supporting me that never really tune into golf and never really follow golf and they were watching at home on tv it had had incredible coverage and um i think a lot of people got behind i mean people get behind irish sport in general but a lot of people got behind golf that maybe wouldn't wouldn't play golf or wouldn't watch golf and uh, i think it brought a lot bigger audience to it as well which was which is something amazing as well
0: mm. I feel like from the outside, Ireland and Australia maybe aren't that different in some ways. Sort of small populations who really get behind, particularly their sports people. Irish golf had a phenomenal run there mm-hmm. um, for a while. with and Still does, obviously, with Rory at the top, but with Budrag winning a couple, and Gray McDowell and Darren Clark and all that sort of stuff. How was that in Ireland and being part of Ireland golf to be a part of that? does We always felt in the 80s and 90s here that golf kind of grew on the back of Greg Norman. Every mm-hmm. time he did something, another few people would take it up. Was it like that in Ireland as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, there was a huge buzz surrounding all those wins. And I think, I suppose we were very fortunate. We had a lot of major winners in a, in a very short space of time. I suppose Podrick was sort of the kickstarter of that. We had a long drive and then he came with, with his three majors. And, um, yeah, I think they all like piggyback off each other. I think it, it really inspired a new generation of, of golfers that, um, Maybe wouldn't have otherwise taken up the game. They saw all these guys winning majors on TV. They saw the way the country got behind them. And we've huge pride in, in our sport. It doesn't really matter what sport it is, but we have a lot of great golf courses and a lot of people that are very interested in golf. And, um, yeah, they had massive support. You just have to look at Irish Open tickets, even the British Open in, in Port Rush this year The the tickets sell out in, in a couple of minutes and uh, the amount of crowds you have six, seven, eight people deep going round, and maybe in the wind and rain <laughs> to watch these, these guys plays. Uh, it's a special thing.
0: I remember Perala saying that on the coverage once when it was raining and there's mm-hmm. thousands of people who I wonder why they do it. He said. said, why would you do it? It just seems like <laughs> silliness. But anyway, um, for all of the success of yours and all the stuff that we've talked about already with golf, of course, you're only very recently turned professional. That's all amateur stuff. And that's a complete reset, isn't it? As it, the transition from amateur professional, is something that a lot of players have struggled with in the past. You go from being a big fish in a little pond and you become a tiny fish in an ocean <laughs> all of a sudden. How have you sort of managed that in your own expectations? I know you missed out on getting to second stage of Q school by a shot, uh, which is annoying, I'm sure, and disappointing. But how, is that, how have you dealt with that transition to this one? It's not all new to you but it kind of is too, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's definitely, it's a different way of life going from uh, week to week to week, uh, following the tour around, I suppose. In the amateur game, you maybe play two, three events and then you get a few weeks off and then you play another couple. And I'd never really before done five, six, seven weeks in a row. And um, I turned pro in June straight after college and um, on the symmetric Tour and was kind of playing catch-up. Um, so pretty, pretty much had to play everything there was, didn't really get any breaks. So that was something very new to me, getting to play in, in pro-ams every week Different golf courses. Um, a lot of the girls had, had already played the courses before. So there'll definitely be a bit of an adjustment, I think, uh, before I get that familiarity and sort of just get used to how everything works. And uh, yeah.
0: What are your plans for this year? You got your LET card in December. Mm-hmm. I think this is your first start as a member of the L.E.T., is that right, on the L.E.T.? You've played Mm. L.E.T., and you've played them as a professional, but this is your first start as a member. What's that process like, and how does your year ahead look? I imagine the ultimate goal is to get to the LPGA. How is that going to happen for Leona Maguire? What's the plan?
2: Yeah, it's going to be a very busy year. I suppose I was was fortunate enough at at Q School in in December to get a really good category, to get that top five category, so I'll get to to have the luxury of planning my year this year, which is, is something very nice to have, so... I'll play a mixture of, of L.E.T. and Symmetra in, in, in the States, so I'll be over and back quite a bit. I'll rack up quite a few air miles this year, I would imagine. Um, So yeah, starting starting my year down here, got to play in the, the Vic Open mm-hmm. the week before last and then do two more down here in Bonville, and then in Canberra and then head back to the States uh, to play four over there. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, busy year ahead.
0: That's a draining schedule, isn't it? You must have thought very carefully about that because others have tried in the past and the the two tour things is extremely difficult, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think I I sat down at the start of the year and and sort of put the two schedules together and, and sort of wrote up a schedule Matching them all up, and uh, Dad took one look at it and said, uh, <laughs> "Where's the brakes?" And uh, so playing for all this. I had to uh, sort of reassess and go back and put a few more brakes in there. And and obviously, I'd love to play in as as much as I could, but I suppose I have to be be sensible about it uh, at the same time.
0: How long does it take you to get from here in Australia back to? I assume you're based in the UK still.
2: Yeah, to, uh, back in Ireland, I, I came from Ireland, so stopped off in Dubai on the way and um, stayed there for, for a few days for practice, uh-huh. a little bit warmer than it is yeah. at home. Uh, but yeah, it's it's probably a day and a half trip down here yeah. and uh, head so, back, straight back to the States after this, but I'll actually go back in time, which is quite yeah. nice.
0: It, it's a long time to sit in planes, isn't it? It's probably overlooked. a lot. Mm-hmm. Once you really make it and you have your own plane, it's different. You've got a bed <laughs> and people to make your dinner. But flying mm-hmm. commercial around the world is not as much fun as when you do it for holidays, is it?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of people think as golfers that we, we fr- fly around in our private jets and, and in the lap of luxury every week. And I suppose the reality is quite a bit different to that. So a couple do. Yeah. Obviously the big guys do. Sure. Yeah. Tiger and all those guys definitely have their, their private planes. But I think the ladies game is definitely quite a bit different to that. And definitely starting out anyway. Um, so yeah, being, being on a plane for 15, 16 hours is, yeah. is not ideal, but I suppose it's a small price to pay for. We're getting to, to fly around the world and, and have one of the best jobs. It's
0: actually a nightmare is what it is, Leona, which is why I just <laughs> refuse to do it. Have you flown private yet? Have you been lucky enough? are a lot of private planes in America. I
2: haven't. Not no, yet. Not uh, yet.
0: You'll tick that one off uh, soon enough. Of course, part of turning professional is you get a management company.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The management company you've joined is a particularly interesting one, Niall Horan. Yeah. Uh, superstar. <laughs> Globally, I imagine, super, superstar in Ireland. Tell me a little bit about that happened, uh, how that happened, and perhaps the importance, Mike Clayton, I don't know whether you know Mike. Mike's been a guest on this, but he's a pro golfer on the European Tour and a commentator and well-known down here. He says that Niall might be one of the most important people in golf because he's got 39 million Twitter followers and nobody in golf can touch <laughs> any la- and young Twitter followers. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, it's, he definitely offers something too unique to the game. I think I've probably never met someone that's as passionate and, and obsessed with golf as Niall. Um, he's a nut, isn't he? A yeah, he's nut. always said that. If he wasn't a musician he'd love to be a professional golfer and this is way of his way of being involved and he genuinely loves what he does and, and really wants to be involved and, and give back to the game and he's involved in, in Augusta and in, in their junior their drive chip and pod and um he's trying to grow the game and use his platform. He has a lot of a lot of young girl followers and he's trying to encourage them to take up to the the game and I think I suppose Golf has maybe the persona for some of being a little bit boring and a little bit outdated and I think any time you can get someone young and, and popular like that to, to promote the game is can't, can't help but be a good thing. Mm.
0: Is golf boring and outdated or is the stuff around golf just boring? It feels like, to me, the game's as interesting as it was 500 years ago for the same reasons. It's mm-hmm. difficult to get that little ball in that little hole. But it's all the nonsense about long socks and dress lengths <laughs> and collared shirts and all that other stuff is what's sort of outdated. Is that what you what do you feel about that? The yeah, game itself suppose, sells itself, doesn't it? If you get yeah, people to play, yeah, it's
2: trying find. to make the game as as accessible to everybody. I suppose um it's a lot easier maybe for some people to just rock up to a, a soccer field or, or a swim pool and, and off they go. But um yeah, I think there's been huge strides made. Obviously, the rule changes I think will be a good thing, making it easier for people to play um, and just making the game more fun. I think there's been a lot of new exciting tournaments, sort of getting the like the Vic Open with the men's and women's playing alongside each other. The Golf six is getting the match play element and just something different, I think, to to sort of boost excitement around the game. And the standard of golf is, is just as high, if not higher, than it's ever been. So I think it's just trying to get people excited about that and uh, get them to come out and watch.
0: Growing up, what did your friends think about you playing golf, the kids at school?
2: Yeah, there wasn't a lot that played golf. I think they I suppose they had the, the idea that it was maybe a little bit boring. They'd sometimes come out to the driving range or whatever, but they were, they were more into to football or soccer or athletics or, or something like that. So there's definitely, I've seen even my, with my younger brother, uh, pretty much all his friends play golf now, which I think 10 years ago probably wouldn't have been the case. So I think there's definitely been a shift. People um, want to play up want to play golf, I think a lot of people when they get to maybe 50 or 60 regret not having picked up the game, it's it's obviously a lot easier to pick up when you're a younger kid and I suppose the, the icons we've had in Ireland have definitely helped with that a lot of people want to be the next Rory McIlroy or, or Podrick Harrington um, and they, they're they picking up golf younger and younger which is which is great to see
0: One day, there's every chance people will want to be the next Leona or Lisa Maguire, how does that feel?
2: Yeah, it'd be pretty cool I think, uh, I suppose I grew up not having uh, an Irish female golfer to look up to at home, so I had to look up to to people like Annika Sorenstam in Sweden, or then even look to other sports. Like uh, I suppose mainly growing up, it was it was the Williams sisters, it was Serena and Venus, and uh, yeah, it'd be amazing to to be able to say that I helped grow the game in Ireland, and it's always nice any time I get to go back, and uh, hopefully we'll get an Irish Open back soon, and and get to see all the the young girls come out and play, and um, get to take pictures with them, and it's still a bit surreal anytime time people come up and ask me for pictures or, or to sign something. It doesn't seem that long ago since I was in their position uh, doing the exact same thing.
0: Do you feel – I often wonder because I'll never be in that situation. Do you feel it as a responsibility or do you feel it as an opportunity?
2: Uh, I think a little bit of both. I suppose um, I'll never forget the times meeting, meeting my heroes for the first time, and I suppose if you're, you're in that same boat, there's that responsibility to – to inspire young people to, to take up to the game and, and to live healthy and, and good lives. And, um, yeah, you just have to be a little bit bit more wary of what you do and what you say. and um, But at the same time, just be yourself as well. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit of responsibility, but it's a very fortunate position to be in. And there's not a lot of people that, that get to do what I do for a living. And uh, I guess it's, it's a fortunate place to be to be able to, to encourage others to do that as well.
0: Golf pros talk about sacrifice, and there's no doubt you need to devote lots of your life to getting as good at golf as you are and want to be. Do you feel like you've made sacrifices, and are any of those Unhealthy is probably the wrong word, but do you know what I'm getting at? Is, uh,
2: yeah, see, I suppose golf is probably one of the more time consuming um, sports. You spend the majority of your time on a golf course, either practicing or playing or, or traveling or, or preparing. And yeah, there's definitely sacrifices. I think, uh, I suppose it's a trade off. You, in order to get to the top, you have to have to maybe sacrifice. So obviously, moving away from home, going to college in America was a big one for me. A lot of my, a lot of my friends were, were going to college in Dublin and were able to go home every weekend and uh, spend time with their friends and, and see their family all the time. And I was 5,000 miles away. Um, I was lucky that Lisa was there with me. But, um, yeah, it's definitely challenging. Um, going from week to week as well on, on tour, it's not, it's not as glamorous maybe as people think it is. Um, the first
0: week's great, isn't it? The second week's not yeah. quite. The third week, it starts to get a bit tiresome. Yeah. The fourth week, is like, really? Do we have to keep doing this? Because yeah. it's travel, not tourism, isn't it? It's it is. travel as it work, is. and yeah, it's a totally get, different thing. We get
2: to see some nice places, obviously. Yeah. Um, get to enjoy some of the sights along the way. I think Australia's been been one of my favorites so far, and I got to spend some time with, with friends in Sydney this past week as well oh, between tournaments. So anytime you get to do that as well makes it – Makes it that bit nicer yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, indeed. It's a, it's a long way to come, and it'd be a shame not to do a bit of sightseeing while you're here. Let's talk about that quickly. Uh, you did play at the Vic Openers, and I think you missed the third round cup. What was that experience like? Uh, it's a big, interesting festival of golf, that Vic Openers, and of course, it was particularly big this year with the LPGA and European Tour co-sanctioning. How did you feel about
2: it? Yeah, I thought it was an unbelievable event. I think it was a great um, sort of way of of doing it, trying to get the, the men's and the women's same course, same week, same everything, and... Mm-hmm. um I think it was it was great to be able to play alongside the guides. Obviously the equal prize money was a massive thing for us and um, a lot of people watched it on TV at home as well. I think it got got great coverage at home and um, hopefully a lot of other events will, will sort of follow suit. But there was, there was a great buzz and a great energy about the whole week and um, you could tell that people really, were really, really excited about the event and really wanted us to be there and, and see us doing well. How
0: would you go with the no ropes? Because, of course, the people walk with you, some of them with their dogs. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's different, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I thought it was cool. Um we have a little bit of that at home so it wasn't wasn't all that different and um the crowds were all really respectful and, and seemed really knowledgeable as well. So anytime you get to play in front of crowds like that is is a great thing. And um yeah, no, there was there was a lot of people out, a few dogs obviously. Um but uh yeah, no, it was great.
0: Dogs keep you calm, they're a good thing to have <laughs> around golf. What did you make of I won't call it a controversy, but there was some chatter about the lack of top women's players from the old PGA who came to the Vic Open. Was there much chatter about that in the locker room? And what were your own thoughts?
2: Yeah, that? no, I don't think the I don't think the girls themselves talked all that much about it. I think everyone that was there was generally uh excited and, and happy to be there that that made the trip down under. And I think uh obviously it's when there's a, a new event like that, some players come, some don't. I think the ones that did were were delighted they came and um hopefully in the in the next few years the, the big big names will come and obviously schedule is a, is a big thing. Everybody has to mm. sort of plan out their year as best as, as they can, and, and people coming from various parts of the world. But uh, I guess the those of us that did play got an amazing experience.
0: It's always a shame we talk more about who's not at an event than mm. who is, isn't it? I, we sometimes get it wrong a bit that way. I suspect it's a bit like the Olympics and the guys who skipped the Olympics who looked back and went. I wish I hadn't done that, actually. Yeah, no, no, no. I think
2: Rory's, Rory's definitely yeah. said that. He, he said publicly, he's regretted yeah. it. Um, Spieth, I think, too, said the so same thing. So it's one of those things that uh, I suppose you, you miss out and then you'll you'll not miss out again. So yeah. uh, you might see quite a different feel next year.
0: Yes, perhaps we can add prophecy to the list of Leona's skills because Rory, of course, did show up this year at the Tokyo Olympics. He was part of that six seven-way playoff for the bronze medal. Uh, Leona also played at the Olympics. She finished in tie for 23rd at Tokyo. What a week was for her at the Solheim Cup. I think we've seen the birth of a superstar, and I hope that you've enjoyed this chat from a little over two years ago with Leona. We'll be back to do it all again next week with episode 91 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.